Well, it is a joy to welcome you today to First Methodist Mansfield, uh, those who are here at the 930 Cornerstone service, those uh, at the well and the well cafe today, uh, grateful that you are here and I'm grateful to be here with you. If we have not met, my name is David uh, and I serve as a senior pastor here and uh, it's good to be home. I spent the latter half of this week uh, in Kentucky. It was my first trip to, uh, to Kentucky. When I got on a plane on Wednesday, I did not realize that there was a really important horse race in Kentucky this weekend. Uh, I was flying into Lexington and I was so confused uh, at the DFW airport as I saw everyone carrying these strange looking bags for all the hats that they needed for the Kentucky Derby. I didn't, I didn't realize there was special made traveling bags for hats, but uh, I was the only one on the plane who was not heading to the Kentucky Derby, I believe. Uh, I went to uh, Asbury Theological Seminary. I spent uh, a couple days uh, meeting and uh, interviewing students there for future pastoral leadership uh, here in our church and in churches in Central Texas. Had a great time doing that. I had the chance to connect with a few students in particular, McKenna Gillespie and uh, Cassidy Bass. Uh, McKenna did an internship with us last summer under uh, Pastor Tina's leadership. And Cassidy Bass worked on our staff uh, for many years in our student ministry area as well as our guest services area. Uh, and I wanted to share that with you because I wanted you to know uh, how rewarding it was to see them thriving in their work, their preparation, and their, uh, in their work to become pastors, and to know that you as a church family have participated in helping uh, shape and, and helping them respond. Uh, to God's call in their life. Uh, we are a church who believes in raising up next generation leaders. Uh, Cassidy and McKenna are each expressions of that. Uh, both of them were connected uh, to the UTA Wesley Foundation. I made the trip with uh, my friend Re Reverend Joseph Nader. He's been the, the campus minister at UTA for the last uh, nine years. He's moving on to a new field of ministry. Uh, he'll be the senior pastor at First United Methodist Church in Weatherford, Texas. But the next director of the Wesley Foundation will be Thomas Mitchell, uh, who grew up here in our church family. He's about to finish seminary. He's one of ours. And so again, another expression of this, uh, this commitment that we have to raising up next generation leaders. Another expression of that is something that Pastor Lauren shared with our students uh, this last Wednesday. I want to make sure that you have a chance to, uh, to hear that as well. As you know, Lauren uh, started working with us as an intern when she was still an undergraduate student at UTA. Uh, she has since grown to become Pastor Lauren, uh, serving as a student local pastor, uh, also working on our student ministry area. And uh, as a result of that, uh, she's been asked by our bishop and our district superintendent to step up into a, a higher level of leadership. Uh, she'll be moving in July uh, to become the associate pastor at First United Methodist Church in Keller, Texas. And so when you see her, please express to her your congratulations. Um, what I've heard in recent days from many people is this in relationship uh, to Lauren, that it's our loss but Keller's gain. And that's absolutely true, but I want to be even more precise today as you think about this transition for Lauren and the way you've participated in that, and, and also as we move into this, uh, this last message of this series, more precisely we could say it is our loss, but it's the kingdom's gain. And the reason I want you to see that and to think about that is I want to suggest to you that this idea is central to the faithful response to the question, what's next? As you ask that question in your life, as we ask that question in our life together as a church family, if we are on track with something that may be our loss but is the kingdom's gain, we're on the right track of figuring out what's next for us in our individual life and our life together. 
because life's not about us and the kingdom's not about us. It's always about something bigger than us. It's, it's bigger than the scope of our own lives, our own history. It's something that goes on long after we're gone. It's something that has been at work long before we arrived. We're on the right track when we, when we realize that what's next in our life should be about something that may lead to our loss, but will always be about the kingdom's gain. That's what Jesus meant when he said, those who lose their life, they actually end up finding their life. And so with that thought in mind, I want to encourage you to, uh, to turn to Matthew chapter 25. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, you can find Matthew 25 on page 1544 in the blue Bibles that we have available for you in all of our worship spaces. I'm going to read to you a story that Jesus shares near the end of the gospel, but I need to set this up and kind of warn you in advance of, of what you're about to hear. This is again at the end of the gospel. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem, and at this at this moment in the gospel, what Jesus is doing is he is confronting the religious leadership who have been his adversaries all throughout his public ministry. And in confronting them, what he is doing is he is calling them to account for the way in which they have mismanaged the resources that God has put at their disposal. And so the story that you're going to hear, it has a confrontational nature to it. It is harsh uh, when you think about other things that you have heard from Jesus, but hear it as the way that Jesus is confronting his adversaries and holding them accountable for the way in which they have misunderstood God's direction for them in their life. So Matthew 25, listen, beginning at verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability, and then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted to me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and whoever, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. 
and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For the last several weeks, I have been sharing with you your stories. Uh, stories about your church family, stories that you may have never heard before, that, but stories that represent your history, the heritage of this family of faith. We've, we've talked about how this church was started in 1885, not 1985, but 1885 by 14 families. We talked about how it was many years before the church was able to really build their first building. It was a structure that stood for almost four decades until September 25th, 1942, when a tragic fire uh, occurred and the church lost everything except for this pulpit and this Bible. And the only reason we have these today is because of a young member who went into that burning building and rescued them young lady by the name of Fran Nifong. We talked about how just a week later the church gathered in a Wednesday night prayer meeting and they dismissed that meeting, went outside among the charred remains of what once was, and they broke ground on what they believed was a brand new future for their church. In the middle of a world war, we talked about that this church, this church took it upon themselves to rebuild their church. They were the ones that hammered the nails. They were the ones that framed out the rooms. They were the ones who placed every single brick and put a roof over that structure. They were the ones who gathered on that first Sunday. And we talked about the pride and joy that must have been theirs when they got to worship again in that space that they, they themselves had, had built for the glory of God. We talked about the, the massive step of faith that they took just a few decades later in February of 1978 when this church voted unanimously to leave that church behind to build a new church here at the corner of Walnut Creek and Pleasant Ridge because they believed again that God was calling them to a new future. And today I want you to hear each and every one of those of your stories as expressions that reflect the faith of the first and second servant in Jesus' story. Those who had been entrusted with something and those who, who in receiving that blessing from the master had, had worked hard to ensure that what they had been given would, would grow. That's our story, that's our heritage, that's who we are as a family of faith and have been for quite some time. Today I want to tell you one more story. And it's not a story that took place here in Mansfield. It's a story that took place in Fort Worth, the west side of Fort Worth, December 14th, 1981, when again uh, another church family experienced the devastating loss of their church to a fire. That church, like this one in the early 40s, uh, chose to believe that God could do something new in their church family. They, uh, they refused to believe that this was the end of their story, and so like our church did in the 40s, they, they began the work of rebuilding their church. 
Uh, you may have never seen this, but if you've ever been in my office, you, you may have noticed a letter that I have uh, framed in my office. It's a letter from Marvin Fox, who was the chair of the administrative board in that church, uh, a letter that he wrote to the gentleman in that congregation who served as the chairman of the rebuilding committee for that effort. It's a letter that I found several years ago when I was helping my family clean out my papa's house as we were moving him into an assisted living facility. I was in the garage, uh, specifically I was in the chest of drawers that he had there. I was in the second to the top drawer. And the reason I remember what drawer it was is because that was the drawer where papa kept all of the golf balls that weren't in his golf bag. That's where they'd been all my life as I would come to Papal's house with my cousins and we would go into the hallway and we'd practice our putting that, that Papal taught us, that's where we went. And there behind that box where all those old golf balls were was this letter just tucked in the back. I pulled it out and I opened it and I showed it to my dad, asked him if I could, could have it because this letter was addressed to Jack, Jack Alexander, my Papal. This uh, act, this, this leadership role that he had in the church and uh, in the early 80s, it wasn't the thing he was most proud of when it came to what he did in his local congregation. What he was most proud of was his role as the Sunday school teacher for the Bible Builder Sunday school class. Uh, he did that for 60 years, just for a while. Uh, I can't imagine doing anything for 60 years, but for 60 years he was there teaching that class. He absolutely loved his church. He loved his church. In his retirement, he was the one who took care of the lawn. <laughs> He'd go up there and, and, and mow it, take care of everything. And, and, and in the early 80s, he was the one that they asked to chair that, that team to rebuild their church. When he died in 2013, that's where we were to celebrate his life. We were there in that sanctuary that he had rebuilt. My dad shared the message at his service, and in the course of that message, of course, dad talked about his life, the life that he had built, the way he invested in his sons and, and his grandchildren, but he also talked about the way he had invested in his church and how much, how much he loved his church. And over and over again, he talked about how meaningful it was for us to be there in that place, celebrating his life in what my dad described as the house that Jack built. This is the house this is the house that Jack built, he said. Now, why would I tell you that story? Well, I tell you that story because I'm proud of my grand, I'm, I'm proud of my papa. Uh, there's a reason that my son is named after him. Uh, he, he's one of the heroes in my life. Uh, he's, he's someone I aspire to be. I love talking about my papa. But I also want you to hear a little bit about where that church is today. In the very first week of this series, you heard from uh, our former senior pastor, Reverend Mike Ramsdale. And one of the things I shared with you is that part of what Mike does today is he helps churches ask this question, what's next? He consults with them and helps them think about what their future might be. And, and sometimes the churches that he works with are churches that over the course of time have significantly struggled to address that question. As he shared with you in the opening message, uh, people love to talk about what once was. But churches often struggle to think about what might one day be. And one of the churches that Mike happens to be working with today is the River Oaks United Methodist Church there on the west side of Fort Worth. Here's how Mike describes uh, what they're going through today. 80 years ago, River Oaks United Methodist Church was planted in a thriving, young, growing area of Fort Worth. 
It grew quickly, serving what was then the northwest part of the city adjacent to the River Oaks Country Club. It was a strong church where many families raised their children. Many in the community were served and God was honored in worship, Sunday school, dinners, and other activities. River Oaks made a difference in the lives of thousands for more than a generation. The church family there built a beautiful sanctuary, a fellowship hall, and a two-story building to serve the Sunday school and small groups that would meet there. It had many confirmation classes. It baptized many, and it influenced its neighborhood. In more recent years, it even overcame the burning of the church and rebuilt it more beautiful than ever. Many in the lives of, and families impacted by River Oaks continue to serve in churches and communities throughout the country. It was faithful to God's call. But in the last few years, as is happening in so many churches, the church family began to shrink and even entered a season of precipitous decline. The congregation got older, many moved away, the neighborhood changed. The church, though continuing to worship and serve, found itself unable to adapt its life and its mission to meet a changing world. The few dedicated members that were left were having a harder and harder time maintaining the building and simply keeping the church open. This once thriving church found itself holding on to a past that was fading each and every day. But rather than give up, this church recently celebrated leaving the North District and becoming a part of the New Church Start District. That's the, the team that Mike leads. One of the few churches that chose to do this, committing themselves to becoming a legacy church, looking instead for a rebirth of something brand new, willing to transition into a brand new faith community that might one day be more able to serve the neighborhood in which it's located. When this decision was made, the church family celebrated. Hugs were passed around, a few tears were sh shed, and hope throttled the despair that had become so prevalent in this faith community. What has been will now become what's next. What used to be will become what will be. And what is fading will become what God might birth. Instead of a season of winter, the prayer is that River Oaks will enter a season of spring. The sanctuary will find new uses. The fellowship hall new ways to serve. The classrooms, new people to grow in faith. And the people who have served so faithfully for so long will become the parents of a brand new future. That's a story of a church that over the course of time really struggled with this question, what's next? And over the course of time, because of their struggle with that question and their inability to perhaps take the risks that were presented to them, options continued to dwindle until there were very few options left. Here's the good news, here's the celebration, and here's what ironically so few churches choose to do. At a place where they found themselves in desperation, they chose an even greater risk. They chose a pathway. They have chosen a future where they have said, we are willing to die so that something new might come to life right here. And part of what I want you to hear 
is that I know that my papa, who was the last surviving member, last surviving charter member of that church, he's, he was uh, one of the charter members along with his parents uh, 80 years ago, I know that that's the decision that he would have wanted them to make. Because my papa didn't build a church so that one day we would have a place for, for his funeral. That wasn't why he did that. That wasn't why he invested in his church. That wasn't why he sacrificed for his church. That wasn't why he came every single week for 60 years to teach and, and open up the word with, with those who were part of his class. That wasn't, wasn't the reason why he invested in his kids and his grandkids and he invested in his community and he sacrificed and he served. That wasn't the reason why. He did all those things because he wanted people to meet Jesus. Because Jesus had changed his life, saved him, and he wanted more people to meet Jesus. He wanted people to grow in the knowledge of God's goodness and God's grace. He wanted people in the life of that church to be strengthened and become even more deeply committed and devoted disciples of Jesus. And now, there's a chance that in that church family, in that place, in, the, in that structure that he sacrificed to help build, that that may, that may come true because of how that church is now responding to the question, Lord, what might be next? We now ask that question. And we ask that question, we have the chance to do it because others have asked it before us. And our heritage, our heritage of, is of many faithful men and women whose lives, whose sacrifice, whose dedication has helped write the chapters, the great chapters of this, of this faith family. And now it falls to me and it falls to you to write the next chapter. And the question is, what will we do? What will we do? On May 20th, here in a few weeks, we're gonna gather after our 11 o'clock services here in this sanctuary. And we're going to have a church conference. That's an opportunity for the church to come together as a church and say, this is where we want to go. And what's going to be presented to you on that day are two pieces of business for your church that have been brought to you by your lay leadership who have invested in this question, what's next? Invested in planning for the future. They're gonna to present to you first a, an opportunity for us to purchase an additional piece of property just adjacent to our church. A piece of property where we can relocate some of our ministry offices and others in the future. There's room to expand there, which will free up space here on our campus for people to connect in ministry programming. They're going to present to you an opportunity to do a capital campaign this fall to invest in the plans that they have put together to expand our ministry, to continue to reach people in our community, to help people grow as disciples of Jesus, to, to invest particularly in space for, uh, for that disciple-making activity with adults and students and with kids. A capital campaign, uh, if a church says yes to that, it's a church voting saying, Pastor, we want you to ask us for money. Because we believe in this future and we want to sacrifice so that others will receive the blessing that has been given to us. 
And what I want you to hear is that all of these come to you with my wholehearted commendation to you. I commend them to you for your affirmation, but I want you to hear that I don't get a vote in that. I'm your pastor, and my job as your pastor is to communicate to you as best I can what I believe is God's preferred future for your church family. But this church belongs to you, and its future belongs to you. It belongs to you and to, uh, and to uh, your sacrifice and your decision, and so you will get to make the choice. You will get to decide if that's the future that you want to pursue. But I simply want to remind you today that you have a heritage, you have a history of men and women who understood that they had been given a great blessing. And because they shepherded that gift well, you have become the answer to their prayers. You have become more than they ever dreamed might happen here in the life of this faith family. And I want you to hear, I want you to know that you are responsible for the blessing that God has entrusted to you just as I am responsible for the blessing that God has entrusted to me. And so let me, let me close by just simply sharing with you how I would articulate that in my own life. These are the words that I shared uh, as I shared the benediction at my papal service. To be one of Jack Alexander's grandsons has been one of the richest blessings of my life. Never for a moment did I ever doubt his love for me. Every time we were together, I could feel his pride in me. And whenever any of us, his grandchildren, would leave Papaw's house, we were embraced, then he would hold us by the shoulders, he would look us in the eye, he would say, I love you, and then he would hug us again. And today we celebrate that our lives were blessed with that tremendous gift. But the faith that I share with my Papaw offers to me and to each of us a reminder today that all blessings come with sacred responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. And so we today go forth now. We go forth to live as he taught us to live, to love as he taught us to love, to give ourselves to our children, our grandchildren, perhaps even our great-grandchildren and to one another in the same way that Papa gave himself to each and every one of us. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, today I give you thanks for the abundant ways that you have blessed this church and you have blessed each and every person who is here today. Lord, we know that those blessings are beyond our own comprehension, but we also know, Lord, that there are lives that are a part of each of those blessings. People who lived out faith, who made critical decisions, people who sacrificed and gave to enable us to receive what you have prepared for us. And as we together, Lord, think about those blessings and we ask the question, what's next? We simply pray, Lord, that you would continue to lead and guide.
that you would enable us, Lord, by your courage and by the power of your spirit to do what may seem impossible, to take steps that may seem uh, uh, audacious and bold, but to do, Lord, trusting in you just as others have before us, being confident that you who began a good work here, you are still doing that work today. And so for our church, Lord, I pray that you will bless us with clarity of vision, that you will give to us, Lord, a unity of heart and spirit, and that you also, Lord, may plant in us the passion and energy to do what you have called us to do, to pursue the future that you would lay out for each of us. These things we pray today in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.